This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined by Lindsay Hamilton and Jim Orr as we continue our four-part series on Sir Alec Ferguson's managerial career in Scotland ahead of the release of the forthcoming film about his life, Never Give In. Having looked at his playing career and his introduction to management at East Stirlingshire, we take a look at his time in Paisley with St Mirren. Before we get started, we have this week's trivia question for you. Which two teams played in the 1976 European Cup final at Hampden Park? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. It is Tuesday the 19th of April 1977. Knowing Me, Knowing You by ABBA is at the top of the UK singles chart and Annie Hall, starring Diane Keating, is about to be released at the cinemas. There is also the small matter of St Mirren sitting at the top of the Scottish First Division. They have been going toe-to-toe with Clyde Bank for the Championship and with it, the promotion to the Premier Division that they badly crave. The Paisley Buddies travel up to Dens Park and the knowledge that a single point will seal the title against Dundee. An extra motivation for the St Mirren manager Alex Ferguson is that he will be facing off against an old adversary in the opposition dugout. Dundee's manager Davy White had managed Ferguson as a player at Ibrooks, and under his charge Ferguson was made a scapegoat for losing the 1969 Scottish Cup final 4-0 to Celtic. White was an inexperienced manager back then but at this point he has been in charge of Dundee for five years. With the knowledge that they are on the cusp of a title win, Ferguson sends out his young team and they deliver an imperious performance, crushing the Dees 4-0 with a hat-trick from Frank McGarvey and a solo effort from Billy Stark. The champagne flows in the away dressing room after the game as Fergie's Furies know they will be Premier Division players after the summer. It has been six years since St Mirren were last in the top flight of Scottish football. The youthful team's success is all down to one man, Alex Ferguson. This is the story of Alex Ferguson, manager of St Mirren FC. In October 1974, St Mirren were managed by Willie Cunningham. Having been appointed as the club's manager in the summer of 1973, Cunningham had grown tired of management and was ready to step aside. When asked by the St Mirren board who he would like to see replace him, there was only one name he had on his mind. The East Sidlingshire manager, Alec Ferguson. Having retired as a player in the summer of 1974 after a successful career as a striker at several clubs in Scotland, Ferguson was now taking the lowly Falkirk-based club to the top and had his club sitting in third, well above the Saints. Cunningham phoned Ferguson and tried to persuade him to take the job in Paisley. Having signed Ferguson for both Dunfermline Athletic and Falkirk, Cunningham was able to convince Ferguson to come and meet the board. Ferguson travelled through to meet the club chairman Harold Curry in Glasgow with the intention of politely declining his offer. However, Curry made a point that stuck with him when he asked, Can East Stirlingshire become a big club? If not, why do you want to stay if you are ambitious? Considering his options, the young manager felt a duty to stay at Furs Park and finish the project he had started. However, when he gave Jock Steen a ring to ask for advice, 
Steen recommended that Ferguson went up to the top of the stand at both grounds and look around, and he would know where his future was. On the 18th of October 1974, St Mirren unveiled their new manager to the world. His task for the season was to make sure that the Buddies would be on the right side of league reconstruction at the end of the season. The top six from the existing second division would join the bottom eight clubs from the existing first division in a new tier, confusingly titled the First Division. The top ten clubs in the existing first division would find themselves in a new top flight, the Premier Division. However, the kingdom that Alec Ferguson had inherited from Willie Cunningham was looking a bit shabby to say the least. The stadium at Love Street needed its fair share of repairs and the attendances were as low as they'd ever been for St Mirren. While buses of supporters would take people from Paisley to Rangers and Celtic matches, the town's own team needed rejuvenation. Working with just four staff at the club in addition to himself, Ferguson found himself having to do all sorts such as shovel snow from the pitch and other cleaning jobs. In addition to these issues, the pool of players that the new boss had at his disposal was not to his liking. Ferguson said in his 1999 autobiography, I had no right to assume that the players awaiting me at Love Street would serve me as well as the diamonds I was leaving behind at the Shire. Having run the rule over his new charges in Paisley, Fergie decided that the calibre of player he had inherited was not up to scratch at all. Most of the 35 players at the club would be shipped out and talented youths would be the new order of the day. It has never been a great idea to annoy Alex Ferguson and the club captain Ian Reid found this out very quickly. After being photographed making a face and bunny ears behind his new boss, Reid lost his captaincy. Another player, John Mowat, was banished as a result of talking back to his new manager. Ferguson was far from the titan of management that he would become known in his later years, but his standards were very high and he expected nothing other than total commitment from his part-time players. On one occasion, a player was threatened with being banished if he chose to go to a concert instead of coming to training one night. There was one time where a blacklisted player was brought back out of necessity owing to Fergie not having enough players to field a team. His harsh methods may not always have worked, but they were designed to get the best out of his players. Ferguson appointed former Rangers defender Davy Proven as his assistant, and along with a growing network of scouts, they set about finding the best talent they could from youth teams and boys clubs. One of Fergie's most trusted scouts was Archie Baldy Lindsay, a Glasgow taxi driver with a nose for a good player. Baldy was able to unearth players like John McDonald, Phil McAviti and Billy Stark. Other players uncovered by the scouting network included a young Frank McGarvey, who had been rejected by Rangers on the grounds he was Catholic. Despite the lack of quality in the existing squad, St Mirren had a great player in the youth ranks and Tony Fitzpatrick. Ferguson had no qualms about not only throwing Fitzpatrick into the first team and made him the buddy's new captain. Following an exit from the Scottish Cup at the hands of his old East Stirlingshire side, Ferguson played Fitzpatrick as captain in the next match against Queen of the South. 
The gamble paid off, with the Buddies beating the Doonhamers 1-0 at Palmerston Park. This was the spark that would reinvigorate the Buddies' season. Before that match, they looked like they would struggle to finish in the top six and be left on the wrong side of the upcoming league restructure. After this win, the Paisley Saints went on an eight-game winning streak and were able to secure sixth place in the league, just enough to see them promoted to the new first division. Tony Fitzpatrick would go on to become a legend at Love Street and captain him to Scottish Cup success in 1987 under Alex Smith. But his time as captain of St Mirren was almost over before it even started. Having suffered from pleurisy not long before Ferguson arrived at the club, Fitzpatrick was called into his new manager's office and asked how he felt. He told his new boss that he was fine, despite still having some of the effects of the illness. Aware that Fergie was probably going to be getting rid of players surplus to the requirements, he knew he had to tread carefully. So he told Ferguson that he didn't need to phone the doctor for a report on his condition, as he was off to the doctors immediately afterwards. But instead he went home and got his parents to call and pretend to be a doctor and receptionist and lie about Tony's health to Fergie. Fergie bought it, and it was only years later that Tony was able to come clean about the episode. Had Tony's parents not been as good at acting as they had, St Mirren might not have had one of the most famous players ever, and the current chief executive. In the summer, the squad would be overhauled again, with the players viewed as substandard shipped out and more youths brought in. This was to be the start of a young team known as Fergie's Furies, and their manager was keen to make sure that they could walk before they could run. Staying in the first division was the target, as was building up attendances at Love Street. If you lived in Paisley in the mid-1970s, then you may well have seen Alec Ferguson driving around the town with a megaphone on a Saturday morning and lunchtime, shouting at people and telling them to come to Love Street to see the most exciting game in the country that day. Since the only people using that tactic prior to Fergie had been politicians, lots of people were receptive and started going more regularly to see the games. Despite this, the gate receipts at the club didn't quite add up to what they should have been. The shrewd Ferguson took a walk around the ground before one game and found that fans could jump over the turnstiles inside the turnstile block quite easily. He told a joiner to lower the roof of the turnstile blocks, meaning fans could no longer jump over and would have to pay in if they wanted to watch the game. The new players were bedding in nicely and a sixth place finish the following year was satisfactory enough for the young team. While more young players were coming in, Ferguson was very keen to drill good habits into his players. One of the most important rules he set down for his players was that there was to be no drinking. This rule would last with him all the way throughout his managerial career, later leading to him having a similar clear-out at Old Trafford to the one he had enforced at Love Street years earlier. No matter how big the player was at the club, if they were a frequent boozer, they would be out. Several St Mirren players would be castigated for being caught drinking the night before a game in Glasgow's Waterloo Bar by Martin Ferguson, and when Alec found out, he went ballistic. He sums up his views on booze by saying, I was determined to fight the drinking culture that has always been a curse in British football. 
It can take a damaging hold at any club, and any manager who turns a blind eye shouldn't be in the job. Far from being a teetotal zealot, I love to see people enjoying themselves by having a pleasant drink. But boozing should have no place in the lifestyle of a professional sportsman. Any footballer who thinks otherwise won't last long with me. As the 1976-77 season dawned, promotion to the Premier Division was now the goal for Fergie's Furies. They would be fighting with Clydebank for the Championship, with two promotion places being up for grabs. A key signing for St Mirren was Jackie Copeland, a Paisley native who had been at Dundee United under Jim McLean. His signing was part funded by a loan from the St Mirren Supporters Trust and it showed how ambitious the club's manager was to gain promotion. For pre-season, the team embarked on a three-week tour of the Caribbean, going to Trinidad, Guyana and Suriname. This was made possible by Harold Curry of the St Mirren Board's work in the whisky trade and featured one bad-tempered game against the Guyana national team. In this supposedly friendly match, Fergie subbed himself on as a player to give the opposition centre-forward a taste of his elbows treatment that he was known for in his playing days. The season started with the traditional League Cup group where St Mirren were drawn alongside Aberdeen, Air United and Kilmarnock with mixed results and a failure to qualify for the next round. The league started slowly too, with an own goal giving them a 1-1 draw against East Fife at Love Street. It wasn't until the third game of the season at home to Hamilton Ackies where the Furies would show what they were really capable of doing. They defeated Ackies 5-2 with goals from Walter Bothwick, Frank McGarvey, Donny McDowell, Bobby Reid and Derek Hislop. A 28-game unbeaten streak in the league followed, including a thrilling 2-2 clash away to Clydebank on Christmas Day 1976. This would be the last ever game played by a Scottish club on Christmas Day, and you can hear more about that game in episode 2 of this podcast if you haven't already listened. When January 1977 came around, the buddies really started to show people what they were all about when they hosted Jim McLean's Dundee United. United were near the top of the Premier Division and starting to come into their own as one of the country's top sides. Over 19,000 packed into Love Street for a thrilling cup tie. Gone were the days of attendances that had only just reached four figures in Paisley. McLean's terrors were terrorised by Fergie's Furies as goals from Bobby Torrance, Frank McGarvey and Billy Stark sank United 4-1. Unfortunately for the Saints, they were beaten 2-1 in the next round of the Cup away to Motherwell. In a bad-tempered match where Motherwell's hard men showed what they could do, Ferguson berated Motherwell's manager Willie McLean, proving that the infamous hairdryer treatment was not unique to his players at Aberdeen or Man United in later years. Tony Fitzpatrick said of his manager's temper, There were certain games right enough. He would say it as we were going out. If you are beat, don't come in that dressing room. Don't come near here. So there was no way you were going to get beat and face Fergie. Proof that the young team were the real deal came when Frank McGarvey, Billy Stark, Tony Fitzpatrick and Bobby Reid were all chosen to represent Scotland under 21s. 
McGarvey was actually threatened with expulsion from both the national team and St Mirren after being caught drinking after the Motherwell Cup loss. But after pleading relentlessly, Ferguson allowed him back into the fold. It was just as well, because his goals would help towards the club's efforts to win the first division. On the 19th of April, the championship was sealed at Dens Park in a 4-0 thumping of Dundee, and the Saints would go marching into the top flight the next season. After a playing career that ended with no winners' medals to show for his efforts, this was Alec Ferguson's first trophy win in his whole career. It wouldn't be his last. Some say that success brings opportunity with it. And before Ferguson could make his managerial debut in the Premier Division for the Buddies, he got a phone call from his old manager from his Air United days. Ali McLeod had since moved on to Aberdeen, where he won the League Cup against Jockstein Celtic in 1976. And in 1977, Ali would leave Aberdeen to manage Scotland. McLeod knew Ferguson's star was on the rise and asked if he'd be interested in replacing him as the Aberdeen manager. On this occasion, Ferguson turned McLeod down, believing he could do more with his project at St Mirren before his next challenge. Instead, the Aberdeen job went to former Celtic captain Billy McNeil. Despite this, the Dons would be keeping a watchful eye over Ferguson. The immediate aim for St Mirren was simply to survive and consolidate their position in the league in the 1977-78 season. Their first game back in the top flight was against the promotion rivals from the previous year, Clyde Bank, which ended in a 1-1 draw. Good wins over Air United and Motherwell were followed by a creditable 3-3 draw with Rangers at Love Street. Despite the good result against Rangers, trouble between the two sets of supporters would lead to tensions between Ferguson and his new chairman Willie Todd in terms of how to deal with the matter. Since replacing Harold Curry as chairman, Willie Todd had not endeared himself to his manager and the two would frequently clash over club matters. Todd and his board would have issues with how much power Ferguson had despite his methods of running the club working and bringing success to the team and the town of Paisley. One distraction from league form, which had become inconsistent and boardroom arguments, was the Anglo-Scottish Cup that St Mirren played in. In the first round, the Buddies beat Stirling Albion before going on to beat Fulham in Notts County. The final was to be played over two legs against Bristol City and despite a Billy Abercrombie goal at Love Street, the visitors took a 2-1 lead back to Ashton Gate. A 1-1 draw in the second leg was not enough to turn things around and the Robins lifted the cup. But St Mirren had shown good form by reaching the final. In the League Cup, Kilmarnock and Hamilton Ackies were beaten 2-1 and 3-2 on aggregate, respectively. Unfortunately for the Buddies, Jockstein Celtic were too strong for them in the quarter-finals as they lost 5-1 on aggregate. Kilmarnock would get the revenge on St Mirren in the Scottish Cup, beating the Buddies 2-1 at Love Street in the third round. In the end, St Mirren survived in the Premier Division in 8th place with 30 points. Air United and Clyde Bank were relegated. When you consider that Ferguson was managing St Mirren and also running two pubs in Govan and Bridgeton simultaneously, he was doing quite the job. Fergie's in Govan may not have been the most upmarket of establishment, but his experience in dealing with the punters 
who teach its landlord many a lesson in how to deal with all kinds of personalities. Meanwhile up in Aberdeen, Billy McNeil had resigned to manage Celtic after almost taking Aberdeen to a League and Cup double and the Dons were once again looking for a new boss. This time Ferguson was ready to depart but feared that St Mirren would not let him leave. As it was, following the conclusion of the 1977-78 season, Alec Ferguson was sensationally sacked by St Mirren. Willie Todd called his manager into a meeting and produced a long list of what he considered to be breaches of contract, which was not helped by the antipathy that had grown between the two men. In the end, Ferguson may have simply been too headstrong and inexperienced to realise when to back down on some occasions. It taught him a valuable lesson, as he would later say, I had learned the lesson that my attitude to management could make me excessively vulnerable. Even if you hate your chairman, you have to find a way of getting on with it. Ferguson's captain, Tony Fitzpatrick, called his manager's departure the worst thing that's ever happened to St Mirren Football Club, and both fans and players alike were disappointed to lose their manager. Willie Todd said of the sacking in 1998, It was a bad time for us all. I certainly regret it, and I'm quite sure Alec wishes it hadn't happened either. Now without a club, Alec Ferguson left Love Street and drove up the A90 to Petaudry. After meeting with club chairman Richard Donald and his trusty vice chairman Chris Anderson, Aberdeen FC would have their new manager. After finding success under Ali McLeod and coming very close to a double under Billy McNeil, the Dons now had a hungry young manager who was keen to prove a point to his old board. The Fergusons left their home in East Kilbride and embarked upon a bold new adventure in the North East. It wouldn't be too long before Fergie would really make his mark on Scottish football. At the start of this episode, we asked you which two teams played in the 1976 European Cup final at Hampden Park. The answer is Bayern Munich of Germany and St Etienne of France. Bayern were aiming to win their third consecutive title, while St Etienne were aiming to upset the odds and win their first European Cup. To get to the final, Bayern had defeated the likes of Malmo, Benfica and Real Madrid, while Lever had defeated Rangers, Dynamo Kiev and PSV Eindhoven to reach the final. The people of Glasgow took St Etienne on as their team for the final, and the French side were incredibly unlucky not to score twice in the first half, as two shots hit off the crossbar of the Bayern goal. Because Hamden still had square goalposts at the time, the ball ricocheted back off them instead of going down and into the net. Franz Roth scored in the 57th minute for Bayern, who then produced a defensive masterclass to win the cup for the third successive time. While Lever put up a good fight, they were congratulated by their fans and the Glasgow public for almost taking Bayern all the way. Years later, St Etienne purchased a set of the old square goalposts from the Scottish Football Museum at Hamden Park and have them at their stadium. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to leave us a review, please email Andy at andy.care 
at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk. Your feedback is appreciated. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special, and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer's Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from ITV, Managing My Life by Sir Alec Ferguson, St Mirren FC, St Mirren.info, Sky Sports and the Glasgow Times.